This is Industry Matters, powered by VGM, a post-acute healthcare podcast about community, connections, and belonging. VGM is a member service organization serving durable and home medical equipment providers and manufacturers. VGM also has communities for respiratory, complex rehab, women's health mastectomy, home accessibility, therapy, and orthotics and prosthetics industries. With VGM, you're part of something bigger. In today's episode, I talk with Rhonda Burmester, Senior Director of Payer Relations and Reimbursement at VGM Government Relations, about the changes coming to the oxygen equipment medical policy and how the PHE continues to impact waivers. Rhonda, thanks so much for being with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm always excited to be on our podcasts. Well, today we're talking about a really hot topic, and you talk about it all the time, but there seems to be a lot of questions that are bubbling up again about oxygen. So let's chat a little bit about oxygen. Yes, yes. And as many of you all know, it's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this, yes, this is exciting um, news coming for our industry. Um, And I'm not the only one that foresees it that way. But we have changes coming to the oxygen policy. If you haven't heard from the news, um, the changes are um, defined in the decision memo that was released uh, last year, so last fall. And I just wanted to share a little history of how this happened um, so that we all understand how and why it happened is, you know, the, um, the oxygen in CD, the national coverage determination, was being opened up um, for a formal reconsideration request. And it was actually due to the cluster headaches. And this was coming from um, the Alliance for Headache Disorders Advocacy Group. And when this was being opened up for reconsideration, we actually had one of the medical directors at one of our meetings that we um, meet with on a quarterly basis tell us us this information and told us as well that um, this is our once in a lifetime opportunity to um, ask for more changes to the oxygen NCD. And a lot of us, you know, are, you know, we were on alert, like, holy, holy cow, this is great. So, um, you know, a lot of us met, went through what we wanted on our wish list, and we thought we're going to ask for everything that we can ask for and hoping just one thing will stick. And we had a lot of things come through. But um, this all started back in 2020. This is how long it's been going on. The comment period started back in 2020. And then the decision memo was finalized um, September uh, 27th of 2021. So just recently. So that's how it all started um, with a little history of how these changes are coming about. So give me an idea of what these changes are and maybe explain what they mean. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, I see it as for, for suppliers that do oxygen equipment, not related to the cluster headache, that, that's a big win for those that are already doing um, clinical trials of the cluster headache or looking to get into it. There's that piece of it as one big win for cluster headaches. But for us, those of us that deal with it outside of that on a regular basis, I look at it as five wins. And I'll share those five wins and then I'll go into a little detail. So we have one of those wins is a removal of the language for alternative treatment. We are also changing or they're changing the chronic stable state language to time of need. They're 
now going to allow not only for chronic conditions, but they're going to allow for acute conditions. Um, the other, I, I called it a win, um, and only because they, um, there was confusion of what the language meant by exercise testing. And so they just clarified that to say it's functional performance of the patient. So it doesn't mean you're putting the patient on a treadmill or having them run around the track. It's whatever the normal functional daily activities that patient's doing, which is what it's always been. They just broaden that language. And the most biggest win I think is the elimination of that CMS, um, CMN 484 for oxygen. So those are the five wins that I see as um, successes for our industry. And that's where I'll touch base a little bit more on each one of those. You know, the removal of the alternative treatment language that has been a thorn in our sides in this industry because of the audits, um, trying to get that language identified um, in, the in the medical records. So they're removing that language um, completely, which is, again, it gets great for us. Um, the other thing with a chronic stable state, they're changing that to time of need, which is good for us too, because it's um, time of need. You look at it from a perspective of maybe getting a prescription for a medication at the pharmacy, you use it for that time of need. So they're doing the same thing with oxygen and that's where the acute conditions come in um, so that you can take on those patients, maybe that's being discharged um, for conditions outside of that chronic stable state. Um, and then um, I would say I'll, being able to assist those patients with those acute conditions. Um, also with those acute conditions will come requalifications. We're just not sure what that will entail, but those patients will have a limitation of um, only being able to use oxygen up to 120 days. And that's based on the doctor's, obviously the doctor's prescription for that oxygen. Um, initially in the initial proposal, CMS had only wanted to allow 90 days before they had to be requalified and the councils um, and a lot of the industry stakeholders pushed to 120 days, which CMS did accept. And our reasoning was, we all know how hard it is to get back into the doctor's office. It's not anything you can do fairly quickly. So it gives us more time to get the patient into the doctor to get um, the need of, for oxygen assessed. So those are some of the biggest wins. And then the final one, obviously, is the elimination of that CMN 484 form. And the reason I say this is a big win, along with a lot of our suppliers in the industry, is it was a burden for us to get this CMN. Take the pandemic out of it. Think about prior to the pandemic, getting that CMN filled out. It was it was tough because it's paperwork that the doctor had to fill out. And if you didn't catch that doctor timely, it sat in a pile and it took a long time sometimes to get that completed. That meant you weren't getting paid. You couldn't get paid on your oxygen equipment until you have that in your hands. And if there were errors, oh my gosh, you had to send it back to the doctor to get those corrected. So that's a, the biggest one um, that I feel that, I mean, we were all hoping for that in the industry is the removal of that CMN. So it was recognized during the pandemic how they can eliminate that and how they can process claims because they finally realized it is just a claims processing tool. The pandemic forced the DME Max to have a workaround. So they 
don't need the CMN submitted to process that claim. Um, so that is that is the um, success um, story from the decision memo and is also the silver lining um, out of this pandemic is that recogni recognition. Um, for those suppliers that do have concerns, because every once in a while I hear a rumbling when suppliers say, I don't know, I, I think I want the CMN to stay in place. Just know that when you read the program integrity manual, which is on CMS's website, they have said for many years now that CMN um, is by itself is um, not enough for medical necessity. It states that for any DME item to be covered, that the patient's medical record must contain sufficient documentation of that patient's condition. And it also goes into say a CMN nor an attestation statement by that physician is enough. So if you think that the CMN was helping you justify, it was not. It, it was really, it was a claims processing tool that caused a lot of denials or delays for suppliers. So those are the biggest wins that are coming out of all of this. Before this memo came about and the process started in 2020, how long had it been before changes had been made? Oh gosh, the the NCD that existed um, was from like late 80s, early 90s. Oh my no goodness. Changes have been made since then. Yeah, so you think about, for those of us that, maybe we're in the industry at that time or starting to dabble in the industry. A lot has changed over the course of even just the last 10 years, but a lot of the policies, uh, technologies have changed. And at one time when that policy was implemented, you know, back in the, you know, early 1990s, late eighties, it was, and there was a need for it. And for those of the suppliers that have been around in the industry, as long as I have even, we had CMNs for every piece of equipment. So we had, I remember them for wheelchairs, for CPAPs, for hospital beds. Now we are down to five. And once the LCD is officially implemented, we're down to four, which is a great thing. And the four that are left are the pneumatic compression devices, the TENS units, seat lift mechanisms, which go with the lift chairs, and the osteogenesis um, bone stimulators. And the next one I'd like to see go away is the pneumatic compression device CMN, because those suppliers that deal in that product category know that the CMN does not align with how the policies outline. So it's sometimes a challenge to get that filled out correctly so that you can get a claim in and submitted. Um, so that's, that's a next, the next thing we can work on. Well, I mean, again, huge changes then, saving yeah. how long we had been sitting with this and how important some of these changes are are for the industry. Are there any mm -hmm. areas of concern from the final decision memo? Oh, gosh, there are. You know, it's the typical CMS government, you know, language that comes out where there are some areas that are generic that did raise concern for um, uh, for the, us, as we were, you know, um, out or this, excuse me, dissecting through this decision memo. And there were a few areas they talked about where it said, where CMS had said, we will leave this up to the MAC discretion. And that concerned us because um, we, you know, that, that could be, um, <laughs> that could hurt us. 
but there are the areas I wanted to mention was, you know, that 120 days for those acute conditions. Um, they had said in there that um, the oxygen coverage may be renewed if medically necessary at the max discretion. So we don't know what that renewal means for those patients. We don't know if that means they'll have to get a new test, a new office visit, um, what they're gonna look for for that renewal. So that um, is a concern. Um, there were some things with the cluster headache that they had left up to the MAC discretion um, with um, that particular condition. And, and also the other area was um, the recertification, it said uh, there was concern about the documentation and recertification. So those were areas of concern where they said, you know, um, medical records, obviously we all know are up for interpretation. Um, and then um, having the recertifications, the current LCD, we know patients that um, are under the group one criteria, which is the common one, they have to get recertified that first year. And that also includes a doctor's visit. Um, well, what does that mean? You know, do we have, well, what steps do we have to go through? And that's up to the max discretion. Um, so those are the areas of concern. What we are trying to do in the industry and what we're trying to push are for the clinical templates to be um, recognized, not only by CMS, but the DME max. So there are some templates that exist now that they were under um, like a trial period, if you want to say that they were gathering information, but now they're old because of these changes, but they're not, in, they're not, they're not using them. They're not adapting to these, these templates. But as we advance in this world with technology, I foresee that to happen at some point, um, especially as we get some younger generations and um, I will see, I can foresee that happening. So those are the big areas of concern. Um, one more I want to mention is the testing. Um, they did throw some language in this decision memo that talked about um, the variance in when you take an oxygen test, more specifically to when you do a pulse oximeter. You know, you put the probe on the finger that most people know about. Um, there are some variances with that based off the patients. You know, maybe it's the pigmentation of their skin or a medical condition they have. Um, you know, as a respiratory therapist, I know I dealt with those as, um, sometimes as a challenge. Um, so they left some vague language in there saying that the DME Max can, um, you know, look at other variations in oxygen measurements. Um, so we don't know what they're going to do with that. We don't know if they're going to stick to what currently exists for testing or if they're going to add some new language in there. So that's, um, those are the main areas of concern. But still, when you look at it all, we do have a lot of wins out of this. Absolutely. Now, are there anything in this interim while we're waiting for everything to finalize? Is there anything you can do about those concerns or are those just things that we're going to have to live with until another round happens? <laughs> there, there's things we're going to have to live with. And um, the, the other concern was is normally when they do changes to an LCD, the local coverage determination, the max will open it up for public hearing. And that means that, you know, we can speak at these public hearings or listen in, but, or we can submit comments. Well, they're not going to open up the oxygen LCD for a public comment. I shouldn't say comment more than hearing the comment 
because medical directors have said they will not do this because they're going to make non-discretionary changes. And by doing the non-discretionary changes, um, there's no need to open it for public comment. Plus, CMS has already had a public comment period on it. So we have we've been challenging them on that because we want to have a public comment period on it because of those areas of, this, of concern that we have. Um, whether we'll get that or not is a, I don't think it'll happen. I, I just don't see that happening at this point. Um, so we're gonna hopefully hope for the best out of all of it. So, um, but yeah, it's still good news. Again, I keep going back, there's still good news. We could still be dealing with the old policy that we have, so. That leads in really um, great to the next kind of topic that we wanna talk about. And that is, what are the next steps to get the new oxygen policy implemented? Oh gosh, you know, and, whenever we hear these changes come about at whatever level it is from CMS or Congress, we want these changes to always happen quickly. But what we have to remember is that there are a lot of um, manuals, there are a lot of documents that have to get updated and it takes time, unfortunately. And so the good thing is we know they're coming. Um, so what they have to do is rewrite the current LCD, the current oxygen policy that you see on CGS and Noridian's websites. And they are in the process of doing that. Um, we know that, but how that gets transmitted to those contractors through CMS is through what they call a change request or a transmittal. And a lot of times those are made public. You can look at those on CMS's website, but they don't always have to be public. So I don't think they'll make this one public because that means they'll be leaking things to us. Um, I've monitored that weekly to see if I can find what their plans are in that transmittal to know what changes are being made. And I haven't seen it yet, but I do know changes are being made because the medical directors have talked about it in our council meetings and we just had our quarterly ones, um, in December. So I know those changes are happening. Um, so they have to make changes to the LCD, which as we know, um, is important. But think about the program integrity manual that's on CMS's website that talks about oxygen, the claims processing manual on CMS's website. They have to change all of those in addition to the supplier manual and any articles, anything that relates to the oxygen, they have to update those in addition to training. You know, they have to train their medical reviewers to these changes. They have to train their provider outreach and education team. So it takes some time to do all of that. What we do know is that we're supposed to hear of an implementation date this um, the first quarter of this year. Um, they initially said maybe in January they would know an implementation date. Um, we'll see, that could still happen, um, but at least we know that, that we're headed in the right direction. Um, we, what we do know is these changes will take effect in 2022. So if we, as you know, BGM, we're always monitoring what's going on with CMS and the government um, or any other payers. So as soon as we hear anything, you know, we'll be sharing this with all of our members. Um, so, and we'll be excited about it. So stay tuned for that information. One more thing I want to talk with you about before I let you go. Everyone is aware, unfortunately, we are still in a pandemic and under a public health emergency. So how do these new changes play into any waivers that are currently in place because of the PHE? Yes. Yeah. So Yes, yeah, so as you all know, we're still in this public health emergency that is, has to get renewed every 90 days. 
and the next renewal is mid-January of 2022. So that'll be coming up here soon. Um, I expect it to get renewed again uh, because CMS has told us that um, many of us in the industry that they're going to give us, you know, I heard 60 days, I heard 90 day notice of when they expect to end the PHE. So I expect it to get renewed again, um, which will take us into April. So what the what the waivers have done is for the respiratory equipment specifically is that um, is in respiratory is the oxygen, nubs, vents, um, CPAP, BiPAP, and I'm going to talk about oxygen because that's, that's what we're talking about. But the waivers are in place because we, if we need to, we can bypass that policy that's in place now and just have some documentation to show why the patient needs the oxygen. So they're trying to get them out of the hospital to free up a bed so they can finish, you know, they're um, getting their condition treated at home. As long as you have some need identified why they're needing it at home to finish your treatment in an order, you're, you're fine. So um, that's good for us in the sense that we can use that waiver for that particular reason. Or just as I've been talking with suppliers about is you can follow the LCD as it's written. So you see all the coverage criteria that they have on their website currently. So the chronic stable state, you know, alternative treatment measures, all the stuff that we know that have causes problems, continue to follow that. Just eliminate the CMN because we know that CMN is going away. Why even bother getting it? Um, you don't, and you can use the waiver then. So put the CR modifier on your claim and the COVID-19 as your claim narrative because you're still getting medical necessity. You're just not going to bother with the CMN and you're going to get paid quicker. So why not, why not embrace that? Um, so I've talked to suppliers about it um, and I actually provided that in the webinar I did back in October, but I've talked to many suppliers about it. And obviously I cannot make the decision for you as a business, what you need to do, because I have some suppliers that said we have to, as our, our compliance team says, we have to follow it and the LCD until it's officially changed. Um, but many suppliers have said, I'm not going to mess with the CMN anymore um, because of this change coming. So you need to do what's best for you um, and best for your business, but know that you have options out there. And if you want to hear even more about that, um, you'll, we have that webinar recorded that I did back in October. Um, you can listen to that or you can even talk to me about it. I have had many phone calls even up to this recording of this podcast talking about these changes and what suppliers need to do what's best for their business. So um, if you want to take one relief off your plate that's causing grief for your referrals and causing grief for getting a claim submitted and paid, then quit chasing that CMN. Yes. And we will, in these show notes, Rhonda, we will link to the webinar and the handouts and have that all accessible for our listeners okay. as well. So there should be some great information in there. Perfect. Any last minute comments you'd like to make? No, other than just make sure that you're all signed up, your team is signed up to get our email notifications. Um, not only is it important just to have those, but know that when these changes are public from the medical directors, from CGS, from Noridian, I mean, you know we're going to be educating you all and providing you a lot of great tools. Um, so be on the lookout for those because we're on it amongst other industry stakeholders. So um, just get those email notifications so you know what changes are coming and that you can learn um, 
from from us because that's what we're here to do to help you with that to decipher through all that confusing language and so you know what you need to do to make sure that not only are you submitting a claim properly but you're going to get paid and able to keep your money um, in the event of an audit so um, that's really all i wanted to share was that great news to remind everybody we still have some good news coming and to hang in there because it'll be this year so <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Rhonda. We really appreciate it. And I guess we'll just keep waiting for that final decision to come down. Thank you so much, Mandy. I appreciate your time too. Thank you for listening to Industry Matters. Make sure you never miss an episode by visiting vgm.com slash industry matters podcast or following Industry Matters on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher.